When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. A swirl of cloudy colours seemed to live just under the surface of the metal. Bruised purples, sea blues, earth browns, cloud greys, and the deep green under heavy foliaged trees. The clustering shades of the mouth of a tomb as evening falls over a deserted graveyard. If there was such a thing as shadow-coloured, it was the blade of the subtle knife. Hello and welcome to His Darker Materials, the podcast where we run through the BBC HBO show His Dark Materials, episode by episode. I'm Dave and I'm here as always with my co-host Helen O'Hara. Hello. And our featured guest this week is the one and only Jada Nuka, uh, Ruta Scaddy. Hi. Herself. <laughs> Queen Ruta Scaddy, please, Queen come on. Queen to you, yes, it's <laughs> As always, a spoilers uh, abound for season one. I don't know why I'm a pirate now, but uh, uh, there are spo- spoilers be here for season one and season Arr. two of his Dark Materials uh, up to season two, episode four, which is what we're going to cover today. And if you want to chat to us, you can do so on Instagram uh, at Stripped Media or on Twitter at Stripped Media UK uh, or just use hashtag his darker materials. And we'll pick it up and have a chat. So, um, Jade, welcome. Great Thank to you. great to have you here. Thanks for flying in. See what I did there? <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Look, we 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 ask this uh, of every guest we we have through here through the studio through the virtual studio. Mm. Um, but what would be your demon if you were to have one? I feel like I need to change my answer with this because I can't think <laughs> further than my own scruffy little terrier dog. Oh, <laughs> that's a good choice. And, and I actually think she's quite perfect for my demon. Um, mm-hmm. She's a little scruffy, you know. She's got, she's kind of, you know, slightly unkept, but she's loyal and she's cute and she's always got your, she's got my back, I tell you. If there was, if I felt danger coming from someone, I, she'd definitely like bark them away. So yeah, wow. she's got my back. Terriers, terriers got an edge to them, don't they? Yeah. They got, they got a little bit of fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's like a mix of terriers. So she's got like the best of all of them, or the worst, <laughs> whichever way you want to put it. <laughs> What's her name? Evie. Evie. Oh, name. I mean, that's good Evie dog Wonder name and a good demon. Evie is her full name. Oh, very good, yes. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You, give her a, you give her a surname. Yeah, Evie good Wonder. Good on you. 
yeah, yeah. obviously. It's <laughs> like on. superhero level. <laughs> yeah, I've got a friend who uh, inherited a cat called Trixie, which he thought was a little bit of a stripper name. So uh, he gave her the <laughs> he gave her the surname Hobbitses. So now she's Trixie Hobbitses, um, which is a bit yeah. geekier and funnier. So, yeah. It does diffuse the stripper element a bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Jade, what was your relationship to the books? Did you read them before? Had you had you come across them at all? I had read the first book, Northern Nights, and I had seen the National Theatre had done a production oh, yeah. of it. Um, mm. I can't remember how many years ago now. And I remember going to see that and thinking it was brilliant. Um, but I hadn't read the other two uh, right. for my sins. So, yeah. <laughs> but as soon as, I, um, as soon as I got the audition, I read Subtle Knife in like a couple of days. Mm. I just thought it was brilliant. I really did. And then I've, and I've gone on to read, read all three now. Cool. And what was the, so what was the casting process like for you? Did they reach out to you to audition for this role, or uh, were you were you eyeing up other roles? Or yeah, they I um, auditioned for this role like ages ago. I'd sent a self tape in. It all started with a self tape, and I, it was months ago. And I remember, you know, months later, my agent calling and being like, "Do you remember that tape you sent in?" <laughs> back in whenever it was and I was like oh yeah they're like well they'd like to call you in for a recall I was like oh and I had to rack my brain about this <laughs> tape it was so long ago um and then I went in and met uh Rupesh who's one of the producers on the show and um obviously cast and director I think Crawford and they and then I had a audition and then after that it was like okay and now in two weeks you're going to be like starting <laughs> wow. your training and I was like, "Oh, right, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to start like getting fit for this." <laughs> so yeah. Wow. So what? what what were you training for? Was it sort of the flying scenes, the fight scenes, bit of both? Bit of both. It was mainly, I think, there was a kind of I, I think also like uh, Ruta knew from before Ruta who plays Serafina, yeah, um, knew from before about how they were doing the, and she was like, "I know that you need some like serious core strength." to do them flying bits. So we both went, um, and all the, the witches, we went to get some sort of just core training, um, which was really helpful and really needed because mm. how you're flying, as you can see, was sort of like horizontal and being held up by our kind of pelvis. So we have to hold ourselves up. And um, yeah, so it was so like back and, and core strength was, uh, was really important. And then also fighting as well for the fighting scenes which wow. i have experienced in so i was just so looking forward to that that's amazing how long how long are you up there in that in that harness i mean that is it's quite an enduring exercise isn't it yeah i mean the team that are around are so great and the stunt team they're kind of always like thinking about you but yeah you can still be up there for a while because obviously there's so many other things um happening as well you know you've got the lights you've got the in my in my for the storm you have like literally like a uh, uh, kind of fan with water being pushed behind it and then just all this water just blowing in my face like oh water and air and I'm just like oh, trying to look really like powerful <laughs> like with all this stuff going into my eyes um, but and so once that's kind of all set up sometimes it's kind of it takes so long to bring you all the way down take you out of the harness that actually sometimes it makes more sense to just go for another take move the camera you know mm. so yeah you can be up there for a good a good while wow so you need to have done all that Pilates and everything to yeah. kind of keep yourself. Definitely. Jeez. 
Wow. Well, job well done because you, yeah. you, 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 I mean, when we meet uh, Ruta Scaddy in, in episode one, it's just, she, you just know straight away she means business. She's kick ass. <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us a bit about, you, you mentioned you were excited about the fight scenes. Um, tell us about that one in episode one with the, you know, that, that nautical attack that she does on the, the ship yeah. takes down half. One woman Magistrate. army, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's oh, it so it was so great to do. I love that. You sort of start before we started filming did a little, I think partly so the stunt team knew what my level was and so what they could do and what how much I could do and how much they might need um, a stunt double, etc. So we went in and I just love learning the fights. And instead of have before we went into the actual set, there was just like empty cardboard boxes for like the walls. So if we did like fall into them, we, we were fine and we were on mats and stuff. And so we did that for a bit to learn the routine. And then we went in and that submarine hallway is as small as it looks and well, it's kind okay. of there's like all of us in there trying to do this fight and then the camera coming in and turning so it is it was quite a it was a great challenge actually um and one that yeah i definitely relished um doing it and i think i think i got it i think i got it pretty well but, you know i think so yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting change from the book as well because you know obviously yeah. that's uh seraphina's fight in the book but this is a a way i think to kind of build up ruda's character because she's really interesting in the book but i feel like we don't get that much of her especially in the subtle knife so yeah. it's it's a good way to kind of you know nail your colors to the mass early on i think so and i was really um yeah, really pleased when I read the script. I was like, oh, they they have changed some stuff around to give her a bit more in, in this uh, series, which mm. is great. And also it, it helps build up the relationship between Ruta and Serafina as well. So, yeah, really, I mean, it's one of, it's just, I, I think it's one of the coolest, if definitely the coolest entrance I've ever made into a show uh, in my history. So, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, think, it's going to be hard to top that. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, all <laughs> yeah. props to the team. I mean, I, how they do that stuff is just incredible. All the mm. um, special effects and the, all of that is just insane. It just elevates what we do to, you know, another level. The, I, I, well, we've talked before about the yeah how the witches are brought to life in here and the effects that sort of bolster them and they, and they do feel very different to witches that that we you know the sort of Halloween costume vibe that, that we sort of have have in our world. But like, I'm interested. Did you you know uh, have you did you ever play around with witchcraft as a teenager, Ouija boards or any of that? Did you bring I, any experience to this? Well, I love the film, The Craft. That was oh, like, yeah. I don't know if you know, yeah, yeah. that was a, but Neff I, Campbell, right, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved that idea of like, and I definitely, when I was at um, secondary school, like me and my girlfriends would be like, yeah, we can just like, we can like curse them. Like if they're horrible, <laughs> we can just sit there from one side of the playground and just like be like, yeah, well, this is going to happen to you. And I think that you've got these powers, but I could do that, but I would never mess around with a Ouija board. I mean, I've seen... Jumanji and all that stuff. I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I get scared quite easily with like films. I don't watch scary films at all. I find they terrify me. And so the idea of like, I've, in one hand, I'm like, I don't believe in ghosts and stuff. But on the other hand, I would never mess around with them just yeah. in case. <laughs> I don't believe in you, but just in case I'm wrong, I'm not yeah. going to, yeah, yeah, not going <laughs> to risk it. That's oh, wise. Amazing. Hedge your bets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Shall we, uh, shall we get into this episode then? Let's do it. All so right. will we start so- with uh, Will and Lyra? Yeah, no, sorry. Hey, guys, we should start with this giant prophecy, which has landed on us at the beginning of this mm. episode, right? Yeah. Is that you, yeah. Jade, isn't it? 
speaking at the beginning. Yeah. No. Is it not? Who, who was it? We I actually, tell. I actually don't know who it is. I've, <laughs> I was, I've been listening to there yeah, because it's such a great intro. Mm. And I was like, is that, is that Rita? I have no idea who it is, actually. I, th- I think it's Kate Blanchett. Great. I love that. Let's go with that. Brilliant. Let's go with that. It's essentially the Lord of the Rings thing. I feel it in the waters. I feel it in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Let's go with that. But we get, um, yeah, so it's essentially this is the, uh, this is our intro as viewers to the subtle knife, right? Mm. Which is dominates this, this episode. And we get, so we do, you do get this sort of uh, exposition dump at the top in this Lord of the Rings style. Um, But I thought it was, you know, it's, you, you kind of just have to get some of that out of the way because mm. otherwise you get to Terence Stamp and you're like... He'll be there for 10 minutes trying to explain it. Who's this guy now? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so we... This episode, as I said, it's all about the, the the knife and we know that Will and Lyra are on a mission to get the knife and uh, sort of the first half of this is them trying to gain access to this tower that mm. just does not have a very clearly marked door. Um <laughs> uh, they should be looking for the gift shop. It's probably through yeah, the yeah, gift yeah. shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they climb they climb the tower and they find um Terence Stamp mm-hmm. who plays uh, I don't know if he's called out in the his name's called out in the show but uh, the from the book yeah, it's think, G- Oh yeah, he I think he's, he's, oh. I think he says him his own name. Yeah. Or at least oh, Jack, the Giacomo bit. I don't know if he says the Paradisi. Um but he also introduces himself as the bearer. And you yeah. can almost hear the capital T, capital B. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. He says um, but yeah, so, uh, and yet he's clearly terrified because he currently does not actually bear the knife. Um, he's he's kind of uh, huddled away in a corner for most of the episode. Yeah, and we get the, um, so we learn that the, the knife has been stolen by a, um, a scared boy, um, which turns into this, uh, this, fight scene really mm-hmm. between will uh, we get to see will use his boxing skills yeah mm. at last um <laughs> in this sort of struggle for the knife and uh yeah will loses his his fingers mm. in a shocking moment it is rather shocking i think if you haven't read the book you're a bit like oh god are we yeah. maiming children now what the heck again <laughs> I, I, I thought that i knew it was coming but even then when i watched it it was like oh you know that's such a it's such an extreme thing to happen to mm. a, a kid. <laughs> You're like, oh gosh. Yeah. It but is. It's all for the greater good. Great. And good. Amir plays the pain really well, I think, throughout this episode. Even oh. when he's in the bath at the end, you know, he's um you know, he's he's struggling. And and then he has to sort of concentrate on he has to go through sort of Jedi training in mm. in the middle of this while at, right after his hands well, Luke's hand was chopped off as well. I don't oh, know. I'm going go, off man. on a. I'm going off on a, a tangent here. I, w- I wish there was a better way for the knife to choose its its next bearer than having to slice their fingers slice off. Slice right? two There's fingers gotta, off. Yeah, gotta be a better way. It seems a little um, twisted. But what did you guys think of this? This uh, this how they visualized this um, this this training. So uh, Giacomo um, telling Will how to use the knife and the, and the split between mm-hmm. worlds and all that. I, I mean, I loved it. It's one of my favourite bits in the book as well. Mm. Um, I love, I love the whole, that first, you know, the first idea. This he he has to take in so much information in such a short space of time, and like yeah. you say, while his hand is bleeding, 
from two fingers yeah. being cut off. Um, and I think they do it brilliantly. And um, the kind of the struggle, and I think because they go away and come back and he's still trying to, mm. you know, do what he's been told and open it. And, and the idea of just like calming yourself, it's a bit like... Um, it's a bit like we're all trying to do mindfulness at the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can we just, you know, shut away all the noise for, of the world and focus on one thing completely? Um, and I'm just like, oh, I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could do that. And it's, you know, it's this similar thing that obviously Mary Malone has to do in the cave and obviously Lyra with the alethiometer. And it's, it really makes me think about like now, like modern mm -hmm. life now, like are we is it so busy and I think about that with Will obviously being from our world or us from Will's world that mm. there's so he's got so much extra noise in his world it feels how does he shut that out and do that I just think it's brilliant yeah it's real yeah. and the, the, the visualization of it as well is gorgeous just this mm. kind of shimmer in the air um and the sort of you know cutting through the threads kind of feeling about it it's it's really really beautifully done it's also I mean I was I'm always trying to pay attention to the credits and sometimes I fail but like they're they're building in new elements every week in the credits so mary's machine mm. is in the credits this week and there's much more about the knife in the credits than there was last season so even though it's kind of overall the same and you've got the people going up and down stairs and the multiple worlds and everything you know they're they're kind of i love when shows do this i love when shows kind of builds story elements into their credits in this way i guess um game of thrones kind of did it as well which is obviously a, a definite influence on the credits here, but it just sort of just adds a little bit of something. I don't know. It's nice. It does. It's a, well, it's like it's um, weaving in all these different story elements. Mm. And then when a new one comes in, it gets, yeah, it enters it gets, the tapestry yeah. of the credits exactly. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I really like that effect, as you say, Helen, that, that sort of, and it looks so fragile, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. That it's waving in the, in the wind almost. And uh, I was very impressed that Will managed, you know, he long time trying to get the, the, the slice right, but then the zip up bit at the end. Very easy. Got it in one. <laughs> Just stick your soul out there. I like that idea as well, but the putting your, you know, your Giacomo system, put your mind at the very tip of the knife, this sort of extension of your mind and your soul and reaching out. And, and yeah, like you said, Jade, it's all about like, that finding that shutting out the noise and sort of reconnecting with yourself and your soul and then extending it outwards. It, it is, you're right, there is a real current of mindfulness throughout throughout all of this. And that's kind of what dust is. If dust is linked with our souls and matter, it's about like... And consciousness, yeah. And consciousness, yeah. It's, it's finding that within, within mm -hmm. yourself and... Uh, there is a lesson to be learned there for, for all of us, yeah, with all the distractions that we face, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, we should all meditate more is basically what this is saying. This is basically Gwyneth Paltrow, this show. It's, it's <laughs> same takeaway at the end of the day, just meditate more, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, th I think it's also great like to have Terrence Stamp just turn up for essentially, what, 10 minutes on screen, maybe roughly 10 minutes. Um because you do need someone with some real gravitas for that role. You need somebody with a bit of presence to convince you that this guy is telling you the truth, that he's worth listening to, that he knows what he's talking about, and then we never see him again. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's. I think it's an important role to have somebody of that stature in there, and, and he obviously does it very well. It's good. And yeah, and he and he kind of hints at like an interesting life lived, doesn't mm. he? You know, he yeah. says a few things to Will like. 
you know, essentially, I hope you'll be a better bearer than I was. You're already learning better than I was. You, you know, he, he, he presents a sort of a flawed character. And especially when you take that with what we learned of the guild from the opening credits with it, you know, they, they, uh, the knife was born of hope, but used for greed, for greed you yeah. know, and, and, and it, he seems like in a short time we know him, he seems like somebody who presents as quite a, um, you know, his moral compass is pointed the, the right way and perhaps, uh, but, you know, per, perhaps was working within a system that was uh, corrupted. Um, and, and I think he sees something in Will mm. um, al- already. And he says, you know, he describes him as brave and Lyra is quite wise, which surprised me because I kind of see it as the other way around. But I, get, well, I think it's kind of what what's interesting about them. They do kind of, they, I think Lyra and Will are kind of feeding off each other's energy mm. a bit and learning from each other. Which I love I about their true. relationship. Yeah. And then there's the pantalimon touching Will, which Ooh. is a bit, ooh, it's a bit <laughs> of a taboo. My goodness. Yeah. I that was so a... sweet, though. It really was quite emotional, isn't it? Because mm. you know, because we know the builder, we know that that's just sort of a no go thing. So it becomes, it becomes quite a, th- quite a, it, it was a really big deal, actually, about yeah. how Lyra feels about Will. Yeah, and I think it goes as well to her compassion, which, you know, we mm. sometimes forget about because she is, you know, reckless and running around like a mad thing. Um, but she, when she decides someone is one of her people, she will go all out for them, you know, ride or die kind of stuff. I mean, just like Roger the Kitchen Boy. So it sort of works Roger. that way. Poor wee Roger. Oh, oh no. Lovely. Too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> we can't talk about Roger. No. <laughs> If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Let's talk about. Uh, let's flick over to Lord Boreal, um, who's who's still in Oxford when we when we meet him here at the beginning of the episode, and he's um, he's headed into the university again to sort of swing some money around, uh, and he meets uh, Doctor Mary Malone and uh, offers uh, some funding. You know, it's, it, it presents as a sort of a savior figure, and then Mary interrogates it and, and realizes it's defense funding. Mm. And uh, you know, swiftly boots him out. But what do you guys think about think about this and what this implies for his links in our world? It makes sense, doesn't it? He always knows where the power is, um, and he always gets close to whoever has the power, so he can have some too. Um, so that hundred percent tracks for me. I mean, it's it's still an incredible achievement if you think about it to have maintained his power in his own world and maintained his kind of authority and presence at apparently every meeting that matters at the magisterium, but also obviously be doing something similar in ours. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he must be going back and forth a whole lot. And I genuinely like I was getting quite stressed. I'm getting slightly ahead of myself there, but when the two of them have to cut through Chitagatse to get back and forth oh, yeah like 
like he's obviously been doing that for years, but that was when there were very few specters. Like I would have thought his days are actually numbered mm-hmm. anyway, just because it's not going to be keep being possible to walk down a street in Chittagatse safely as yeah. much as he must be doing it. Crazy. It's not an easy route. No. And you're right about like all like the fact that he's kept this life, this double life really going. Mm. It's, 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 but it, it, that the, the, the sort of logistics of all that are terrifying. I find it hard to stay on top of having a job and recording podcasts and having kids. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how he's managed to be in a, an immense position of it, power in two separate universes. Yeah, it is amazing to think like, it just makes you think, gosh, money does, can buy you power. You know, and him being yeah. able to get all these artifacts has got him so much money mm-hmm. just because he's stolen from one world and taken it to another where, it's, where it feels really special. So it's kind of like, gosh, that, that, he's just filthy rich <laughs> and, he's be, and he's being able to buy his way into the right rooms at the right mm-hmm. time and talk to the right people. And and it's, it's interestingly, uh, that's exactly it. And, it, and it's, that's what the guild have been doing as well that's sure. what we learned mm-hmm. of the guild at the beginning right that's exactly what they were doing and we get this glimpse at that in that um opening montage of you know jeweled uh jewels from various worlds and things they, they were doing the same thing they were amassing wealth from everywhere and yeah. using it to secure power so it's makes it gives us a sense of sort of the you know john parry talks later in the episode about this 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 battle between two forces and you kind of get a sense of where the guild and lord boreal are sitting Definitely. Uh, on that side of yeah. things and also you get the sense he's essentially parasitic on other people's efforts like it's, it's quite funny that he's very contemptuous of oh Azrael thought he was the first of course he did like he's such an egotist and well okay but you're acting like you're the first and you're also not so you know like dial it back a little bit boyo you know he's he's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just another person trying to basically steal the wealth of worlds for his own benefit so just like the guild did and he's he's also failing to bring the hope that you know the knife should have brought so yeah screw that guy he's bad <laughs> <laughs> you do get, uh, well yeah agreed and the um you do you do get a you do get some interesting insights into him as a human in this mm. episode because because he's always so de- lord boreal is detached and calculated and control always control in control and controlling but here when he brings mrs coulter for dinner it feels like this could be the beginning of his undoing a bit because he's letting her into his secrets. He's letting her in a bit. And the the motive seems to be a bit almost, you know, there's that, that moment where he reaches out to her hand and his snake demon is kind of reaching for her as well. There's, there's a moment of he's reaching out for intimacy, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think he fancies her. And I think he wants to show <laughs> yeah. off. Well, exactly. Yeah. He's, got all the, he's got this all this stuff, but he's got no one to share it with. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. That's why he's putting down her ex as well. Azrael, <laughs> forget about him. Whatever. Not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was slipping between universes long before that fell. <laughs> Which is true. I mean, honestly, if he'd worked together with Azrael, we might have had a problem. But uh, but I guess two opposing forces, they were never going to do so. That's true. But what, what do you think? It feels to me like Mrs. Coulter is, you know, we see her grabbing her monkey demon, pulling pulling it back, you know, in that moment of intimacy. You know, she's mm. not she's not reciprocating, is she? She's playing it. Yeah. 
100 much more much more complicated character yeah. isn't she not gonna not gonna make it that easy for you <laughs> no but she's gonna and use then, him to get whatever she can particularly oh, yeah. in this case lyra oh yeah um, and, we, and we get a few moments in the, which I liked in this restaurant sort of creepy date that they go on the, uh, <laughs> where she, uh, you, you get this admiration for Lyra coming through from Mrs. Coulter, don't you? Like, mm. you know, she, you, she's got a tendency to escape your traps, you know, that kind of, kind of thing. She's like, she doesn't think Boreal can handle Lyra, you know, from sort of from a maternal pr- pride sort of sense, but also from experience, uh, you know, she's seen her escape prisons before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, she's like, ha ha, you're underestimating my daughter. And he t- she tells him so, and he still doesn't take that seriously. So really, it's all on him at that point. Like, of course, it's going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, de- there's definitely a, a weird twisted pride in, in that sort of, well, Lyra always escapes traps, so whatever, you know. But she still goes along just to, on the off chance that he's right and he does have a way to get her. Yes, and we so and where we finish with the two of them is entering into uh, Shitagaza. Shit, I can't say. Shitagaza. I know. I'll <laughs> never get it right. Shitagazi. Thank you. The, um, uh, and you, we get this Mrs. Coulter sort of glimpsing one of these specters, mm. and and I think yeah, as as you say, Helen, there's a, there's a sort of there's a sense of the the threat of the specters really lands in this episode mm-hmm. more so than we've had previously. It kind of been building up to it, but like yeah. in the opening scene, we see them straight up devouring lads like on the street, and then we see it happen to Terence Stamp, and we see it happen mm-hmm. to the boy that was fighting, and and it's it's uh you know, you said Jay that you're you're not a fan of horror films, but this very much this episode it had some real scary. horror vibes. Yeah, yeah it's sure. quite a scary episode. Um, don't go yeah. to Chittagatsi unless you've got the subtle <laughs> knife. <laughs> <That's the> wise <laughs> yeah, words there a... for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Escape. <laughs> um, no, and I, I was wondering though, did Giacomo basically take poison rather than get eaten alive? That's what I thought. Think. Yeah. So I think oh, he, he, yeah. he knocks back that little bottle and I think, and, I, and then they come up close to him and then sort of veer off. So I wonder if they're just, they were frustrated. He got away from them essentially. Yeah, that's what I thought. That, that um, makes a lot more sense. I I thought he was just like having one for the road. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that also would See make it. sense. <laughs> See you, lads. If only I it was, was just a shot of rum and the spectres wouldn't get you, I think it'd be a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, yeah. no, he's drunk. Oh, let's go to the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> just be on an eternal pub crawl in Sittagaza. The... Um, <laughs> I, I I actually thought he was going to jump. I thought that's mm, I did too. Actually, I thought spectrum. and I thought, yeah. wow, that's dark. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sad they didn't they didn't do yeah. that. So what, what do you, we we do get you know there is a whole lot of information given to the audience in this mm. episode. You know from that from the the, the beginning um, sort of narration bit right through to what we learn from Joppery Stanislaus John. Parry, sexy shaman, um, uh, which is, you know, he tells us very clearly that there are two forces that have always been at war. And you've got those who repress, who command, who want to, uh, don't want us to be conscious, inquiring beings who we presume to be the magisterium and mm-hmm. the, 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 the authority uh, controlling. Oh, yes, the authority and the oppressive forces of of, uh, you know, the 
defense ministry, I guess, in the, in our world. And uh, those those who want us to know more, to be stronger and wiser, to explore. And I kind of like that Andrew Scott indicates to to Lee when he when he's sort of giving this this monologue when he says explore. Mm. Um, so I think this is you know this is finally the stakes are kind of a little bit clearer. It is a sort of a classic good versus evil battle, right? Like 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 all the best fantasy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, except we've got except we've got Azrael in the middle, which obviously Lee is not a fan of. Mm. Yeah, that exactly. That makes it interesting, isn't it? Mm. Because you do have these characters like Azrael who are in the middle, and you don't really know which way they can swing, like him and Mrs. Coulter. Like, and that's what kind of keeps us on our toes, isn't it? It's this, you know, who's who? Who are they really working for? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is this is the interesting thing about both Lyra's parents. They they've sort of aligned themselves with these opposing sides with authority and freedom. He's been the rebel and the maverick and the free thinker and the guy who's been going off having all these adventures and doing all these experiments and benefiting from scholastic sanctuary and all the rest. Um, and she's gotten herself in deep at the magisterium and aligned herself with authority and power and everything else. But both of them are playing their own games and both of them have actually free will and free thinking and are not quite as um didactic about their you know aims as I feel, I feel like everybody else thinks they are there's room for both of them to do horrific things or heroic things and you don't really know ever which way they're going to they're going to jump which i kind of love I, I just think they're both fantastic fantastic characters um but yeah it's 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 to have those two they're kind of forces of chaos basically and yet they're kind of almost maybe not leading this the disparate sides, but they're heavily and you know, wound into both sides in, in Mrs. Coulter's case and leading his side in Azrael's case. And, you know, they could just throw it all away for no apparent reason to anyone outside because they just do whatever the hell they want. They're just so strong willed and so independent. Love it. And and it's interesting you I love how you put that. And the um they they constantly defy expectation as well. And the same happens when it comes to their relationship with Lyra, because when we meet Azrael in season one, he presents, even though he's pretending to be her uncle, as a, a kind of more of a paternal figure. He's looking after her and has been for a long time. And then those, that role has absolutely flipped by the end of season one, where Mrs. Coulter, who has been this really terrifying threat to, to Lyra throughout, suddenly is looking for her best interest and is being maternal, mm. while Azrael's effing off into a into a, a slip in reality with, without a care in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Having killed her best friend on the way, by the way. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, <laughs> oh god, too soon. Oh no, I meant oh, that we're back. again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 just it's fascinating, fascinating characterization. But and then I like that John Parry gets a little bit of um explanation for his actions here that Lee immediately is like, who would leave their kids? Only the absolute worst people in the world. I could never be friends with someone like that. And then John Perry's like, well, actually, <laughs> awkward. I like that he gave, uh, you, you could see Andrew Scott plays the hurt and the regret, I think mm. really well here. Uh, you You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It's not a decision that this character takes lightly, uh, and and he acknowledges his mistakes and misaligned priorities. You know, mm-hmm. I thought my work was more important. And this is a very different 
person we don't get a lot of john parry before this but just from the videos that will's watching this feels like a somebody who's been in this world quite a while has learned a lot and is really like in well connected to everything that's going on and has a demon mm. which is interesting yeah older what, and wiser for a start i mean just, what, you know. what do you guys think of what do you guys think about the look of um of joe parry and, and andrew scott in this I like that he seems to have the traces of like an Arctic explorer's anorak and possibly a denim jacket underneath it that have then obviously been patched up in by locals and by, you know, whatever tribesmen and witches, I guess, that he's been living with in the north. Like he's he's so between two worlds uh, yeah. in, in the way that he looks and the way that he dresses. And all the tattoos and stuff on his mm -hmm. hands. It's like he's, they feel like they all tell a story of quite a, quite a rich time that he's had since he's been there mm. i was really i was really taken by the fact when he says that he couldn't get back and i know it sounds silly but i never really i was always like why did he leave his wife and his son mm. and i never really thought about the fact that he you know he went through to another world and actually lost his way home he couldn't yeah. get home yeah. and and suddenly that feels very different to asriel yeah i think that's right because i think he came through uh a less direct route. It was kind of the, you know, in when Lyra goes through, they talk about the mist that she walks through and she sort of, there's a sense that she goes through a sort of chaotic path and just happens to come out in Chittagatse. Um, in the books, at least, it, it hasn't been quite that clear in the in the show. But, you know, there is that sense of you're going through kind of a tunnel that may branch off in different directions and he just didn't know which bit the tunnel if you like, he could he got back to. So yeah, I think I think it's a real tragedy actually, and and, yeah. and they really play that in this episode. Yeah, I th I think audiences everywhere are going to fall in love with Andrew Scott again. Oh, again? Uh, there's a, there, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he is, <laughs> he's just goes from one sexy religious character to another, <laughs> and the, and I think the you know like you said, Jade, the hand tattoos thing. I I. I think that's going to be the new uh, Connell's chain from normal people. And I think everyone's <laughs> oh, going to want hand, hand tattoos after this. Because they're working for him. They are working for him. Hand tattoos and grubby, big grubby jackets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't want that? Come on. <laughs> the new look. <laughs> I don't know. I quite like the witch's look, I have to say. The sort of chainmailed shoulders. Yeah. Um, very, awesome. very stylish. How were the I'm costumes sure I'm sure to I wear? I rock it down the street, but... Well, <laughs> give it a go. <laughs> Maybe yeah. on a good day. <laughs> it's 2020. There are no rules. Just oh, go for true. it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love the, the costumes, the witches' outfits. I thought they were brilliant. I love the fact that there's a bit of armour on them, which, mm. like we were saying before, it's kind of not what you think of necessarily when you first think of witches. Um, but I think, you know, they're not just... They're not. They're not like fairies. They're not airy. They're not airy fairies. They they fly, but they're really hardcore. And they are mm. like, they are. Yes, they fly, but they're also of the earth, and mm. they are connected to nature. And they they need some robustness to them. And I think the costumes really show that. Mm, very much so. Yeah, they did an awesome job. They're almost militarized, aren't they? they yeah. yeah. Like you say, it's armor. Is it heavy to wear? No. Oh, I like, <laughs> very. I like that. Yeah, they. I mean, we had so many different versions for different things. So you had a version for if you're fighting, version if you're flying, just so it does help. So that, I mean, the designer was amazing by just helping us out a bit. But no, it does look like really kind of quite heavy armor, but it's not. And that is mm -hmm. magic. Ah. <laughs> of course. Well, it stands to reason they'd be wearing kind of light armor, if you like, if they're going to fly and everything as well. It makes sense. 
exactly. even in canon yeah true and you gotta move fast exactly and we and we get uh so we do get a bit more of uh the witches let's talk about the witches in the mm. in this episode so the first time we uh the first scene we get uh seraphina flying in and we meet uh we meet Rudiscadi and uh we learn that her people's lands have been destroyed right yeah yeah it's because we've, we've seen before that you know seraphina's lands were and she's gone and found out oh wow they've got mine too and mm. It's this is this means business, you know. They've retaliated and they are not getting away with it. Amen. Well, tell us a bit about Ruta in this moment, then, because, like you say, it's kind of this is her. We've seen her being angry and reactive before, but now she's almost a bit cooler. But like, yeah, the... it's well, she's hurt. She's in pain, and mm. I she never. I don't think she ever thought this would happen. You know that that you know from this first episode i don't think she was thinking of the possibility of the magisterium retaliating she was doing what she needed to do for the sake of the prophecy um and this is i just think this really hurts her, mm. her lands and so many witches have been killed like this isn't like humans killing witches like what is going on here yeah. and and destroying our lands destroying our homes um and so i think it's a kind of different side of her from that kind of you know that that initial kind of passion that she had and mm. now it's like oh we've got to do this we've got to think about this actually and I think this has kind of slowed her in, in some ways and that she has got that pain and I think it's great because we see them coming together um Ruta and Serafina coming together mm. and actually that's how they're going to get through this is by working together mm. and as a collective and not by you know, Ruta going off and just doing something alone. Um, do you think that Ruta has kind of guilt over what happened? Do you think she's she's connecting this to her attack or is that just, is she more kind of straightforward than that? That needed to be done, therefore this happened, therefore now we need to do this. Yeah, I think I think she's sad about what happens, but I don't think that's, I don't think she believes that that's because of what she's done. Yeah. That they've gone, at, they've stepped out of line. The magisterium have stepped out of line. And that now needs to be fixed. Yeah, I agree. Right. Well, Jade, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. And thank you, Helen. I'll see you next see week. See you then uh, when we will jo- be joined by more guests. Yes. Next week, we're going to be joined by um, Will and Lyra themselves, Daphne Keen and uh, Amir Wilson. Uh, so looking forward to that. So, yeah. With 10 fingers, I hope. <laughs> fingers crossed. Oh, no. Yeah. Too soon. Oh, no. Fingers crossed. Oh, no. <laughs> too soon. His Darker Materials is a stripped media production. Our executive producers are Kobe Omanaka and Tom Wally. The episode was edited, mixed, and sound designed by Tom Wally. This episode was produced by Helen O'Hara and Dave Corkery. All our music was composed by John Dix. Our artwork was created by Sam Gilby. And the excerpt read at the top of the show was taken from the book The Subtle Knife by Philip Pullman and published by Scholastic. This episode was recorded remotely in parallel worlds. Finally, big thank you to James Carroll and the team at North Bank Talent Management. You just heard a stripped media production.
If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how.